today because um, I don't technically know if I'm supposed to be doing this or not. Um, the doctor just didn't say I couldn't. So, you know, right, Mike? When, you, when he doesn't say you can't, I'll just take that as a, as a word. So I may not be quite, I don't know, we'll see, as animated as I typically am, but, you know, so just continue to pray for me, and I appreciate all your prayers uh, already. Um, but we are going to finish up this series. We've been going verse by verse through Romans chapter number 12, and I entitled our series, Let's Be Reasonable, uh, out of verse number one of chapter 12, where we are reminded that we are saved by God's mercy and uh, his grace, and I'm thankful that it is God's grace that saves us. You know, that, that uh, famous verse, one of the key verses on salvation, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so God offers us through the finished work of Jesus Christ, uh, his mercy, that he took our place on the cross for our sin, and now offers us the gift of forgiveness and eternal life. And I pray that you've done that. And once you receive that gift of salvation, then God, his expectation is that we would serve and be involved and that our service that we do is really not anything that we may think, oh, that's great. No, no, it's really just reasonable. And so the title of our series is Let's Just uh, Be Reasonable. Let's be reasonable. So this morning, uh, we're going to continue on in our series. Remember that we've seen that this reasonable service is done through the body of Christ. It's interesting that he highlights the, the body, the church, and that uh, the context of this passage is really uh, to believers uh, inside the church. It is not, uh, some people take this and take it farther outside the scope of its context. I don't think that's what it is. I think it's really designed mainly with personal relationships in mind, specifically those that apply inside the church, but to some extent outside in our personal lives as well. So today, I want to do something a little bit different. I'm going to end, uh, we're going to end with the last verse and then we're going to go back and read some verses as we get to that. But my theme today is overcoming evil, uh, overcoming evil. There's a lot of evil today, isn't there? A lot of evil. I, some of the things that have come out in uh, this, you know, evil group of people over there in, um, you know, Israel, um, I, it's just, I don't know, no words, just regular people living their lives and, you know, it's just evil. And as we've shared, you know, I'm not afraid and we'll continue to call evil for what it is. And I'm tired and weary of people who say that the Israeli government has got flaws, which it does. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> Doesn't mean I agree with everything. Prime Minister Netanyahu does, but at the same time have enough perspective to be understand what is evil and what is good. And um, what breaks my heart is how much of the evangelical church won't stand up for what is right. They won't. And uh, now did a whole sermon on that. You can look at it online if you want to hear more on, on that perspective. <laughs> it's, on, it's on there. Uh, it's done with the Jewish American flag. You can't miss it. And, um, uh, but at any rate, uh, we're going to talk about overcoming evil, but this morning I want you to consider overcoming evil. Uh, even when we come to faith in Christ, we still have our old nature inside of us, don't we? 
It's not like you get saved and, you know, maybe I know some Christians maybe naively think, oh, I got saved, so now all my, I'm going to stop sinning. You know, I'm not going to do any wrong things. I'm not going to have any wrong thoughts. And all you have to do is hang around a few Christians and you'll find out that's not really the case, that uh, inside the Bible teaches that inside my flesh, there's still a lot of evil. There's a lot of evil in there. Um, there's enough evil inside of every believer here this morning if you're still in the flesh now if you've gone to heaven and that's been eradicated i'm uh, you know i'd like to know that first <laughs> weird me out a little bit but most of us are still living here in this life there's enough evil still of, of my old nature inside of me to destroy my marriage to destroy the family there's enough evil here to destroy our church there's enough evil to destroy the community just just inside a group of believers he said, well, I don't know, I don't, I don't think, well, Paul felt this way, and I think he was a pretty good Christian, uh, as Christians go. Uh, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 7, he said, he finds a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, in my flesh, warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members, which is in my body. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I serve myself, serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And so he says there's this battle going on that we can win through the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to live under the dominion of sin, but we would be foolish not to recognize that inside every one of us, we still have that sin in there that is capable of doing great destruction and great evil. So I want to begin our morning this morning with the very last verse in chapter number 12. We're going to skip to the end, and um, uh, that's a famous quote there. Did you catch that? Anybody catch that? Name that quote. Yes, name that quote. Princess Bride, there you go, I'd skip to the end, um, verse 21, the Bible says, be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. What a simple principle that he ends our idea on reasonable service. God says, let's be reasonable and let's live as a living sacrifice. And ultimately he knows that reasonable service overcomes evil by doing good. Fascinating. Serving the Lord is a good thing, and ultimately, we know what is good because God is good. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 34 and verse number 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. And so as a Christian, we ought to be about yielding to the Holy Spirit, and we go through our lives doing good, and when we do good, that doing good overcomes evil. Now, how do we do that? Now, I'm going to go through a couple of these verses here this morning, and I want to show you how do we overcome evil with good? Well, the first way we can do it is with our words, with our words. Notice in verse 14, the Bible says, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Now, blessing and cursing is typically done and primarily done with our mouth. Now, we went over this verse a few weeks ago that, you know, I applied it to the nation of Israel. So I'm not going to take as much time here this morning, but just a reminder that overcoming evil and doing good is doing good with our mouth, with the words that we say. And remember that James chapter 3 gives us a clear reminder of the power of the spoken word. That the things that come out of your mouth, once you let it out, boy... You putting it back in there is really, really hard. Matter of fact, once you've said it, it's out there. 
And all of us have said things that, that we wish we wouldn't have said. And by the way, I would tell you, on behalf of me and the other pastoral staff and anybody who does public speaking, when you say a lot of words, you're going to say some that aren't, you know, if you go back in time, I might rephrase that. So in advance, as the years go by and have gone by, I probably have said some less than articulate things, and I, I appreciate you extending a measure of grace on that. It isn't always as easy as maybe we make it look, and, um, uh, but intentionally, I, the heart attitude is not there to do the wrong thing. But overcoming evil, number one, is with our words. Well, I'm going to move on and move on to verse 15. Not only is it done by our words, but also with, you're going to love this one, with our feelings. Oh boy, look at verse 15. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Just as blessing and cursing is done primarily with your mouth, I kept thinking about how can I rejoice and be joyful without showing some kind of emotion? How can I weep with others that weep without expressing emotions? And I thought, you know, whenever we talk in the Christian faith about feelings, usually we bring it up in a negative connotation, don't we? Because if you're the kind of person that lets feelings guide your decision making, it's going to be problematic. You, you know, some, I tell you, some folks, you got to toughen up your feelings a little bit, all right? Toughen up a little. And I was thinking, whenever, when I wrote that, that, that outline, of course, I'm a little bit older, and I know there's some people in here that are a little older even than I. There's a few of you in here that are older than me. But I immediately went back to the 1970s in my mind, and there was this famous song. Is anybody with me? I know we got a lot of younger people in here. Maybe not. Okay, I'm going to start one word, and then I want you guys who know, yes, this will be on, on live stream, to, to sing the rest of the line, okay? All right, you, you with me? All right, this is kind of like song trivia. Now, this is going to be a huge step down from the Deaton family choir we heard a few moments ago. Big step down in content and lyrics and all that, but uh, remember the song? Feelings. There they go. Can you hear that online? Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's the words. That's because we were doing certain bad drugs in the 1970s, and that's all we could come up with. And, um, you know, don't let them old people say, we never did that back in my day. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, don't Mike O'Brien. Talk to Mike O'Brien <laughs> if you want a word of testimony there, Dr. Brother Mike. Um, but, you know, I thought of that song. You know, that was, like a, that was like this bestseller number one hit. I mean, it was this big song. Although I always remember it. Uh, how many of you remember it? I'm really going back in time. Back in my day, we had really fun game shows. Remember that game show, The Gong Show? Yeah, some of you remember that you say it was kind of like um, America's Got Talent or American Idol, except when you did bad, they, they had this giant gong and they gonged you out of there and then they hooked you off the stage and you were done, you know, a little, little bit more fun, you know, into it. But I remember that about every other singing act that came on there wanted to sing that song. And if you want to get yourself gong, just pick feelings and, and you were you were pretty much out of there. So I know that I'm touching on, a, on a, maybe a little bit of an interesting or less likely thought of concept, but if you're going to overcome evil, part of it is with our feelings. Paul says to rejoice, which is rejoying, joying, joying over, and weeping. And they're certainly outward expressions, 
But yet I started thinking about throughout the scriptures how often in the Old and New Testament narratives we see feelings demonstrated. Um, let me give you one example. I remember when, uh, when the, the, the first temple, Solomon's temple, was completed and, and dedicated, the, the joyfulness around Solomon, the dedicating of that temple. But then when you remember later on, they, that temple was destroyed, and then they went into captivity, and they came back, and they built a much lesser building on the second temple. But if you read in Ezra, when the second temple went up, the response there was weeping. And uh, partly because they remembered the former glory and partly because the temple was up at all. But they're just different expressions to a similar circumstance. And, you know, I think we all, um, as a matter of fact, I think we all have feelings, right? Uh, yeah, the, the, I know some of you, uh, the, the, some of us are very expressive, you know, some of you are very quick. I'm, I'm probably a little more in this camp that, you know, tends to be. And I, uh, you know, I, I, and then others, we don't know if you're even alive, let alone if you have feelings. We want to go in there. Hello, you know, show us something. Tell us if you're happy or sad. Tell us something, you know. Or, you know, I always say if you're, if you're happy in the Lord in your heart, please tell your face about it. You know, just let us know something. I, I always want to say, well, that, that's just not the way I am. You know, that's not how I am. You know, I find it interesting. If I could go into some of your homes, some of you out there that say, well, I just don't show a lot of emotion. Um, if you're watching online here, we're in central Alabama. And I'll bet you yesterday at about 3 o'clock in your house, if you're watching the Iron Bowl, some of you that say you have no emotion were making a complete fool out of yourself <laughs> over a football game. And yeah, I'm a little bitter because Auburn didn't win. Um, you know, um, I think that that was a you know, a cheap shot face mask in the beginning of the game. If they got that call right, the whole game would have been different. Yeah, I know. That. I'm, I know. I'm just covering up because I'm really a Florida fan. They didn't do so good. And you know, they, you know, the Florida guys, they're spitting in people's faces and they're kicking people. You know, it's a, uh, they need me. They need me. You know, they need me. I could, I could do it. No, I need to be right here. Bottom line is we all have emotions. We all have feelings. And we're commanded here, not a suggestion, present tense, rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. Enter into the feelings of other believers. Wow. You know, when somebody has a really hard time, they go through something really difficult. We had a family in our church, a newer family that lost their 15-year-old son this last week. You know? that hurts. You say, well, you know, I, I, I just, I just don't, I, I don't know. All, all I know is when Jesus went to a funeral, remember when he went to the funeral of Lazarus, the most arguably the famous verse in all the Bible, because the one that we can all memorize, even us that are post, you know, whatever, 50, Jesus wept. Jesus showed emotion. Now, understand, in a Jewish perspective, a Middle Eastern perspective, and you see this even to this very day, they, they are big into hiring professional mourners. <laughs> you know, they, they still do that over there. You know, if somebody died, they'd go hire a bunch of people to cry. Really, oh, we really miss them, you know. So, you know, somebody, I won't name any names in here this morning, but, you know, somebody, it would be terrible that, you know, passes away. Um, I should pick a name out just to be, but that wouldn't be very nice. And nobody really even liked them, but they'd hire a bunch of people. They had enough money and you would just, they'd be crying and wailing and blah, blah, blah. But they were really professional mourners. Well, Jesus kind of went against that. And here he is knowing 
that he is the solution because every, <laughs> every funeral that Jesus showed up turned into a party um, because people all of a sudden that were dead were now alive and he knew what he was going to do and had the power to do, but he entered into the emotions and, and there's a lot of people that speculate on why Jesus wept. Bottom line is he entered into the emotion of that moment and in solidarity with that family out of a legitimate broken heart foreseeing the consequences of sin, he wept. You see, everyone in, that you meet this week, everyone you meet, I don't care how much externally their emotions show. You know, some of us who are a little more expressive, sometimes we put on a everything's great, you know, kind of thing. Everybody wants somebody to care. And probably people are going through something you, you and I don't know about. And when we do, every one of us can either sympathize or empathize. And obviously there's a distinction there. You can sympathize with someone who's going through something you've never been through, but out of human care, and especially if they're both believers, out of being brothers and sisters in Christ, you can, you can enter into that, that emotion with them. Or maybe you can even empathize where you've been through something like that, and then even on maybe a little deeper level you can enter. But, you know, sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes if you've, you've gone through life, and there are some folks that I, ha that, that I have great empathy for or sympathy for, I guess would be the correct word, that maybe you grew up in a, in a very abusive home. And, and you, were, you were taught and shown that you were, you were mistreated and your emotions were beat down to the point that you're so wounded, even into your adult life, that you have a very difficult time letting that emotion out. Partly because some folks, they get wounded so deep, they conclude, I just don't care anymore. And I imagine to some point, all of us have been maybe there in one perspective or another in our life. Um, and I, to some degree, understand that, but I read this verse this week, and you can tell I spent probably the most time, this is the one that kind of I kept thinking about and praying about going, I can't get around the fact that God is commanding believers to rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with those that weep. I thought of maybe one example that was encouraging to me because sometimes I don't want to enter into someone's emotion, especially of brokenness, because you say, I don't know what to say. You know, sometimes the best thing you do is don't say nothing. I think about Job and his three friends when Job lost his family and lost all his wealth. When, when his Elihu and Bildad and um, the other guy, they show up. They start out good. They sat there and you know, in ashes for what, seven days, if I remember right, they didn't say nothing. It wasn't until they started talking <laughs> that the rest of the book is, is them trying to explain to Job why he's so bad. But they're to be commended that they came and they showed solidarity with their friend and they just sat with him in the middle of his misery saying nothing. And sometimes when things happen, people, they, they're blessed if you just show up. Just be there. Now, some folks, the reason some struggle showing empathy, especially inside the church family, is because many believers are really not connected to anyone in their church. Sometimes as a pastor, I get someone who will complain to me and say, well, you know, I was going through this and nobody would talk to me. And sometimes very, I try to be very loving. But I say, well, who have you built a deep relationship with inside of the church? Who have you been there for? Who have you reached out to? 
if, if you don't build those relationships, you'll, you'll, even inside a church, you can end up very alone. Now, I understand that things happen, and sometimes there are issues. I, I get it, but sometimes it's exactly why we don't even want to connect. Because I, I just don't want to do that. And I, 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 some, I understand there some folks have got life stories that are very, very painful. But the bottom line is, God tells us the believers, if you want to have a reasonable faith, he says, weep with them that weep and rejoice with them that rejoice. You, you know, I, I was thinking about this and I was thinking about those two things. What is more difficult to do? Weep with those that weep or rejoice with those that rejoice? You know, now I don't know if it's supposed to be a competition, but I thought to myself, I think most of the time I struggle maybe more rejoicing with those that rejoice. <laughs> you say, what do you mean? Well, you ever felt this way, you know? Somebody goes along and they're going very request time, or, you know, praise no time. I got another victory. Remember that big problem in my life? Well, it went like this and all my problem went away. And you're back there going, yay. <laughs> or they come and they say, hey, I got a really big raise at work. And you're going, Yay. <laughs> and they got, oh, I got another big blessing in my life. You're going, yay. Because inside of us, we're going, hey, Lord, what about me? I'm going through this problem and that problem. How come I never get that kind of blessing? Anybody else ever felt that way? Okay, maybe I'm the only one. But I have felt that way. And sometimes, you know, it's a tough. Bottom line is our feelings are a very powerful tool, part of who we are to connect us to one another. And God says, weep with those that weep. Rejoice with those that rejoice. I remember several years ago now, um, I, I led a really large funeral in, um, in Birmingham. All the big funerals I've ever been privileged to do that were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people were done in Birmingham for whatever reason. Well, I did one up there one time, and uh, there was a church that the family had kind of gone to in and out, but long story, but we had done a lot of ministry with some of the family, and they asked me to do it, which was fine. Um, and Jen and I went up there, did our thing, preached a funeral, you know, went up there, the whole, the whole nine yards. And many of these people I had never even met before. I, I knew a couple of the core family, knew the person that had passed away, but that's about it. But I still try to really get in there and relate to the family. Well, they had attended this large church, and this large church bought, I don't know how many, five or six staff guys that came. And I was just kind of being interested. I kind of just keep an eye. And what amazed me is I sat there and after the funeral in a room with these guys, and I was just kind of overhearing their conversation. And it just kind of broke my heart. They, it was very clear to them this was just a job. It, it was just a responsibility. And the, just so you know how your pastor feels about it, if, as a pastor, if, if you can't enter into the pain and the joy of your flock, you got to get out of the leadership. As a pastor, I, I, I just think when you have the definition of a pastor's heart, is maybe that not encapsulated here in in this verse, feelings. Well, we can overcome evil with our words. We can overcome evil with our feelings. And we can overcome last this morning, number three, with our actions. Notice in verse number 16, the Bible goes down and says, be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Now, all this thing say, he was talking about the mind. No, basically what he's saying is don't get full of yourself that you think you're better than somebody else. That in your view of 
relationships don't say, well, I only like this kind of person, whether it's a wealthy person and you, you discriminate against someone who has less, you know, materially. Maybe it's this, that, or the other. But the bottom line is, you know, you've probably known people in your life that were pretty comfortable with themselves and they'll let you know they were better than you. And I'll tell you, inside a church family, that's toxic. But more importantly, it's unbiblical and unchristian. Because I don't care how good of a person you think you are, how much money you think you have or you do have, you're a dirty, rotten sinner like the rest of us. And if it weren't for the grace of God and the love of God, you'd be on your way to hell too. So as Christians, he's saying, don't be like that. Be a, a, a loving, engaging person to different people. Yeah, there might be some folks that you, that you uh, identify with more closely and you have friends in the church. That's all fine, but don't become a conceited individual. Be careful how you act towards others. Now, he, James chapter 2 tells us the same thing, where don't treat the rich man better or differently than the poor man. Um, and, and so we should be nice to everybody. Now, again, let me be balanced there. That doesn't mean that none of us, that you and I don't bear some level of responsibility. Again, I have known people that sometimes they say, well, nobody at church, you know, they won't talk to me or blah, 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 blah. And I'll say sometimes, well, you know, honestly, sir or ma'am, you're not very nice. People don't like unnice people. Or there's people that, how, how do I put it? You're so full of self-pity and woe is me that everybody knows anytime they get in a conversation with you, it's all going to be about how awful and bad your life is. It's kind of a downer. <laughs> surprise, surprise. People don't like that kind of people. Now, it doesn't mean, you know, if you have a good friendship, you're able to share, hey, this, I'm going to struggle on this. But, you know, there should just be this, this balance. So there is personal responsibility in the relationships that you have and, and the actions you have one towards another. But Paul's saying, don't be like the Pharisees who are so full of themselves and so self-righteous, and we need to show our love by how we treat others. Now, this isn't easy. Now, how do we do it? Well, verse number 17 tells us, recompense to no man evil for evil. Pro provide things honest in the sight of all men. If somebody mistreats you inside the church family and you, you plan a way to get back at them or you start spreading gossip about them, that is not biblical it is not reasonable service and it's not a way to overcome evil that's the way to spread evil now I found it interesting that the action he's advocating here in verse 17 is the action of honesty provide things honest in the sight of all men what is he saying there he's saying sometimes you and I need to be honest about where we really are it is amazing to me how many times people judge other people by their actions when they have not been fully honest with where they really are how are we supposed to know? There are many people who hold you accountable. And I can tell you in the ministry, one of the most discouraging things in the ministry is to try to help someone and either you weren't there enough or you were there too much or you, you, you know, and, 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 you know, help a brother out a little bit and be honest about where you really are. I have found that relationships cannot be fully mended or strengthened until until. Two individuals learn to be honest with one another. And if you're married in here this morning, that goes quadruple for you. And if you're in a relationship, and I, I hate to say it, but I think this is the dominant where most marriages are. Most marriages today in America, one or both of the spouses do not feel they can really be honest about how they really feel. 
Now, you say, Pastor, are you saying I've got to say everything I think? No. Do not say everything you think. Especially men. No. Don't do that, okay? Um, but it does mean that if there's deep root issues of things you're going through, that has got to be brought out in an honest avenue. Because if you won't provide things honest, you're going to assume correctly or incorrectly that your partner is recompensing evil for evil. It is amazing to me when marriages get going down the wrong path, how no matter what one person does, the other person views it as a negative attack on them. Why? Because they're not providing things honest. And if you're blessed to have a marriage relationship where you, you feel like you can tell your soulmate anything, that is a tremendous, tremendous blessing. And it's the way, especially in a Christian marriage, the way that it should be. And my experience has been, this is just in my anecdotal experience, it hasn't been 100% of the time, but most of the time, I find that men because of our ability just to not talk and give the cold shoulder. I, I, I find a lot of times wives are literally fearful to tell their husbands what they really think. And um, it ought not be that way. It ought not be. You see, our actions need to be an action of honesty. It also needs to be, look at verse 18, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Not only an action of honesty, but an action of peace. We are to have interpersonal relationships that are typified by peace. You know, I, even as a country, I loved, uh, you know, peace through strength mantra that Ronaldus Magnus always lived by. And boy, do I miss him. Um, but... As Christians, should we not be a people of peace? If every or most relationships in your life are characterized by conflict and turmoil, you need to do some introspection. Stop saying it's everybody else, everybody else, everybody else, everybody else. And, and when all around you, every relationship you have is some kind of drama, you know, turmoil, conflict, it's very likely to get a mirror. I, it might be time to do some introspection. Believers are to bring peace. Believers are to help diffuse tough circumstances. Believers are supposed to steer conversations away from gossip or critical spirit. Be the person that says, hey, let's move a different direction when some other person's name comes up and someone has something real negative to say. Be the person when you know, the critical spirit or the negativism, negativism comes up. Now, I love the fact that it says, if it be possible. By definition, what he's saying, sometimes it's not. Sometimes, back to the verse before, when honesty comes out and truth comes out, things must be dealt with. Sometimes a good fight is necessary. I've said for years since we got here, you know what? We've had, God has blessed us with a, a, a peace inside the church for the most part. We've had our moments like every church does. But you know what? We're going to fight to have peace. And I have said it 
and maybe it's been a while since I've said it from the pulpit, so I'll say it from the pulpit just in case you're wondering. I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've been here. If you develop a chronically negative, critical spirit and you're unhappy about everything and you start spreading that unhappiness to everybody else and everything you've got to put online on Facebook has to be negative, you're going to hear from me. And me and probably a couple of the men of the church are going to encourage you strongly to find another church. Because if you're not happy here, we don't want you to be unhappy. I want everybody in here to be happy. And there's churches all over the town here, and we'd like you to go spread your happy spirit to some other church. <laughs> May I recommend East Memorial? Um, um, sorry, East Memorial, I love you, I love you. That's just a joke. I'm just dealing with envy, jealousy, and covetousness, all right? I'm just being honest here this morning. But we should be people of peace. But there are sometimes things worth fighting for. There really is. And um, I'm afraid that even as Americans, we've lost sight as even on a national level, there are things worth fighting for. There really is. Well, lastly this morning, um, the, not only the action of peace, but how about the action of submission? Look at verse 19. That's a tough one too. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Now again, this is on personal level. I don't think he has in mind here national level. You know, I am very thankful that we have a couple of nuclear-powered sub, submarines as well as aircraft carriers off the coast of Israel right now. And um, I'm full support of that. Sometimes there are things worth fighting for. Um, but on, on a personal level, interpersonal relationships, he says, dearly beloved. He's talking to believers again. Don't get caught up in revenge. Don't get caught up in being overtaken by uncontrolled anger. It's okay to get righteously angry at times, but don't, you know, don't understand, don't do it. Matter of fact, it's interesting in this verse here that, that I had to kind of look at over and over. He says, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto, unto wrath. Now, what is he talking about? He's basically saying, here's the deal. When somebody does you wrong and you want to go back and get at them, you, you have a choice you can make. You can either say, I'm going to handle that, God, and I'm going to give that person what they deserve. I'm going to be the judge. And when you do that, you take that place of being the judge and bringing wrath down upon that other person. Where Paul is saying, get out of that place so that the wrath of God can be administered on that person. And I would just tell you, what would you rather do? Have the wrath of Ken or the wrath of God? Depends if you ask my children. You see what I'm saying? What Paul's saying? What the scripture's saying? Get out of the way. Vengeance is mine. The, the problem is we want to be the one to execute judgment. Now sometimes God puts you in a position that's your job. If you're a parent here this morning with small children, they're still at home, you know, little kids, you're in the position of administering divine judgment. You are to train up your children in the way they should go. You are the one to take control of your kids. And unless they're really perfect kids, at times they're going to need some swift judgment. Yikes. Remember the good old days in America where you could go to the store and kids were respectful? The problem is we raised a generation that was so full of themselves and quit administering justice inside the homes. I knew in my day when I was a little kid, if I acted up in the store, some other adult might call me out and my mom and dad would thank them for it. 
Today you try to do that and you, they'll, they'll beat you up. You might be in a position where God does that. I know as a pastor, part of the pastor comes with a, a level of authority that sometimes I administer spiritual discipline. It's part of, the, part of the responsibility. There's a lot of issues in life, but most of the ones we don't have control over per se, and it is those kind of relationships where sometimes we want to be the one to say, God, this person did me wrong. I'll show them. I'm going to get back at them. That doesn't overcome evil. Matter of fact, I asked myself, why is it that I want to do that? You know why I want to do it? You know why I think it's better if I get back at someone? It's because I don't really trust that God's going to do it good enough. That's really what it comes down to. God, I'm helping you out here. Don't worry about it. I got, I'll handle this one. No, that's not the way it is. The problem is, is that when somebody does me wrong, I want the clouds to part and God to bring some lightning down on them right then. It's been five minutes, God, get them. Such a Christian spirit, isn't it? I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't like when I can't see and don't get to enjoy the judgment of God on that other person. The reality is, you may never see because it's really not your responsibility. It comes down to a measure, a measure of faith and also what is best for our local body of believers and what is my reasonable service for God as a, as a child of God. You know, I tell Christians all the time, if you want to be involved in church and you really want to make a difference, you want to get involved in different programs, you got to be willing to take one for the Lord. Matter of fact, better take more than one. Sometimes you just have to take it when somebody tells you something you didn't want to hear. And maybe they're totally wrong and they're inappropriate. It's going to happen because, as I mentioned, there's a bunch of evil in this room, in, a, in the flesh, in, the, in our brains. And they're just floating around here this morning. You've got to love God more than you're hurt. And there are people today, there are many of them that are not serving God, is because they're so full of vengeance. They're so full of the idea that somebody in the church did them wrong. Somebody did something to them that was, was legitimately wrong, and they didn't see any response to it, and they didn't see it dealt with the way maybe the way they thought it ought to be. And so they're full of bitterness and unforgiveness, and, and it's this wound inside of us that goes on and gets deeper, and the infection grows, and pretty soon you don't want to serve God at all. Your root problem is whew, that, that wound that person gave you, it's like giving Satan a little string that you're attached to. And anytime Satan wants to pull that string, anytime you start serving God and start getting victory in your life, Satan can just like put you like a little puppet and just say, oh, watch this. And he brings back that hurt and you say, how do I get over it? Well, Paul said it this way. Brethren, I count on myself to have apprehended. In other words, I, I'm still seeking Christ. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I don't know. I've been through, and when you're in the ministry as a pastor, I share this with you, there's a lot of hurt in it. I remember telling Pastor Danny when he was considering getting in the ministry, I said, if there's one word I would put next to full-time ministry, it's hurt. When you look at what the Lord Jesus went through for our salvation and my salvation, it was pain. And I said, you have got to be willing and choose to look forward. And you got to be so busy serving God and be excited about what God is doing in your life and maybe in the lives of others you're impacting that you're so focused this way that you can let some things go behind. You have to submit to whatever God has allowed and submit that, Lord, you're the boss. You, you handle it the way you see.
And then the last of this morning, in verse 20, he says, Therefore, in conclusion, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head. Now, this is the same thing that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, verse 44. He said, Bless them that curse you. And verse 45, That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans do the same? He said, listen, you might do the right thing and somebody over there is cheating and they've been mean to you and done wrong and you look over there and you see rain falling in their field and everything seems to be going good. Jesus said, if, if, if you just love people that love you, what, what reward is there in that? If you want to overcome evil, it's when you and I love somebody that doesn't deserve our love. That's when we have the most opportunity to be Christ-like. Now, I know there's a lot of discussion on heaping coals of fire on his head. I've heard different ones, and you read different commentaries on what it means, you know. But let's just say in the context, what it does not mean is lighting him on fire. <laughs> you know, I would kind of like that. You know, hey, that person over there, God says to heap coals of fire. Get, uh, hun, get the charcoal grill out there, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it over to church and dump it on Brock's head. Um, you know, that's uh, what Scripture says to do. No, that's the context he's talking about overcoming evil with good. That when someone has done you really wrong, this is where you have to get control of your feelings and you have to say, you know, I'm just going to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And how many times have we seen God take something really bad and make something really good? So he says, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, when uh, this last week I've had a little bit more time to spend in introspection. Um, when I first went to the doctor, it was a week ago, Thursday, I guess it was, um, you know, I'd had some chest pain a week earlier and being as smart as I am, I said, if you have major chest pain, just wait a week before you go see the doctor. You know, that, that's the man way of handling things, right guys? No big deal. And my cardiologist didn't seem to see it that way. And he came in the office and in my in the little room there and said, you know, what's going on? And He's up there going, mm-hmm, and he's looking at stuff, and next he just looks over and goes, well, you're going to the hospital. And I thought he was kidding. Then the wheelchair came in. Yeah, the next thing I find myself in the ER. And there we go. Um, but spending time knowing or being told that, you know, hey, you could be on the verge of a massive heart attack, you know, you kind of do some evaluation, kind of a time you sit there and you think about things and uh, all I know is that as somebody that you know you go through that kind of thing and um, sometimes those are the times where God reminds you of how much people really care um, and I just know I at times would lay there in the hospital and read some of the notes that y'all would post or the text that you sent me. And um, sometimes you think your life doesn't matter as much as it really does. And Satan gets you to start believing a lie that, you know, it doesn't really matter and nobody really cares. And you start having this, as Karen would say, stinking thinking. And you start accepting that truth. But then you go through a really tough time, and if you're blessed, God will show you that there's a lot of people that really do care.
Um, you know, I was thinking about overcoming evil with good and um, even in terms of making a difference in our culture. And there's, there's a lot of folks, and I had a discussion with somebody online in private message. I don't, I don't carry on discussions on public. I just don't do it. So people attack me I very seldom, very seldom. Every now and then I will. Most of the time I'm going to keep it personal or you know, p- private. But there's a lot of the church today that believes that the church Christians, that our only responsibility is to, you know, we need to see people saved and discipled. And by the way, I agree. The primary thing a church needs to be is seeing people saved and discipled. But a lot of Christians have said, well, we're not, we're not supposed to get involved in politics. You know, I, I say, have you read the same Bible I did? Didn't Moses get involved in politics? Wasn't Daniel involved in politics? Wasn't Elijah involved in politics? Wasn't John the Baptist involved in politics? They say, well, Paul didn't do that. Well, no, Paul did not have some version, deluded as it may be, of the Constitution of the United States of America. And had Paul been made the second in charge of all of Rome, I think there'd have been some policy changes. And I'm just calling out all these Christians and my humble opinion, this is my opinion, my opinion. I think a lot of Christians want an excuse not to have to stick out there and get involved in a fight. We want our safety and security. We don't want to get involved and we shroud our spirituality saying, well, I'm just involved in getting people to the kingdom of heaven. Well, God has given you and I as Americans one of the greatest gifts that any human beings ever been given throughout history to have a voice. And the less we use it, the more we're going to lose it. And lest you think it doesn't make a difference, I saw a story on the Daily Wire this last week. Do you realize that because of some of the states like Alabama, Roll Tide, War Eagle, like Alabama, that passed restrictive laws on abortion, somebody did a study do you realize there's 32,000 more little babies this year than last year because of those legislation? 32,000 little lives. Now I know some say, well, some are going to be in poor homes. Well, who are you to say who should live or die? You see, we can overcome evil as we get involved in good. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you for the teaching of your word this morning. Lord, help us to be a a person that overcomes evil with good. Uh, Thank you for your mercy towards us. Lord, I pray if there's one that's watching this morning that doesn't know you as their personal savior, Lord, I pray that as they've listened this morning, my dear friend, would you just turn to Jesus this morning? The Bible's really clear that we just need to call on his name. If we believe in him, recognizing that we're a sinner, the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It's really that simple. Would you recognize you're a sinner? Turn to Jesus for your eternal life and receive that gift today. But how about it, dear Christian? Are you a person of peace? Are you a person of honesty? Are you a person that's submitting? Maybe there's some wound in your life that Satan has you on a string and you know what it is. As I've talked about it, you know specifically what it is. It is time for you to wholly give that over to God And let him be. Get out of the place of vengeance. Let God be the righteous judge that he is. Holy Spirit of God, may our church be a place of unity and peace and joy. Thank you for the gift you've given us of eternal life. God, as I look around at this world and the hopelessness that we see, thank you that we can find a hope in you. Thank you for the gift of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand? We're going to sing.
as we sing. If you want to come to the front and pray, I invite you to do that. Uh, whatever you need is this morning as Hunter leads us. Have